Hi everyone. Today we're running an episode from the archive with a guest who really needs no introduction. Dan Murray Searcher is the founder and CEO of Brain Health Company Heights and the host of Secret Leaders Podcast. In this episode, which first ran in 2021, Dan opens up about his own mental health challenges and the personal journey that led him to start the company. Enjoy. Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co founder of Hyper Exponential tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. So this week on Startup Dads, I'm delighted to say we've got Dan murray Serta on the podcast. I don't think Dan needs a lot of introduction. Any of you who are following podcasts about entrepreneurship, startups, or anything in that area will know Dan. But Dan, shall I pass it over to you and say, what makes you a startup dad? Yes, absolutely. I am having a daughter in August, so that will make me a startup dad. I am then generally prepared because I've got two adorable ragamuffin cats who are my life and my existence and have been for the best part of a decade now, about eight years. They very much behave like they are my children, although albeit because they're cats, they're very easygoing and independent children. Don't get me wrong. I'm not not genuinely. I've had dogs as well. I know that dogs are much more like having kids than cats are, but I'm very lucky. I've got two cats who have all of the positive temperament that you would want out of an animal without any of the bad. So I wouldn't necessarily call that the same as what I'm expecting with my demanding daughter incoming. That's brilliant. I think it's, you know, with children, it's better to get some practice rather than uh, nothing at all. So Dan, you're much more than a serial entrepreneur. You've made multiple investments and you speak to some of the most impactful business leaders on a reasonably regular basis. So my first question for you is, how has the way you perceive an un known challenge change over time. You've done lots of these things over and over again, in parallel, amazingly as well. So when you see unknown challenges now, how's the way you, you feel about them, the way you, you go after them? Has that changed much? An unknown challenge. It's a great statement. As I guess any, any challenge worth fighting is unknown to an extent. On a personal level, starting heights was a very relevant experience in an unknown challenge because I think it's a big competitive advantage to have no understanding of an industry. You still need skills and you still need the skills that you have. And your skills might be in an accountant, whereas someone else's skills might be legal and someone else's skills might be, you know, sales negotiation. Doesn't matter what the skill is, but not knowing anything about the category, in my opinion, you know, I use the example of, of heights because We've started what we call a brain care company. So we're trying to create a new category in brain care because we feel like mental health is very stigmatized and and kind of lost its, its power. And for whatever reason that might be, we feel like it's worthwhile starting a new category of brain care, all about how people can take the steps on a daily basis to look after their brains. Um, the product that we make is a completely bespokely designed supplement with 20 of the key nutrients that your brain needs to thrive according to science, all designed from the ground up. 
every ingredient was sourced from an independent supplier of the highest quality, yada, yada, yada. And the reason I'm telling you all of this is because that's not how you make these products. There's a lot of broad understanding in mental health that if you have a mental health problem or you're looking to improve your mental performance or your mental health, you do so on a psychological level. And there isn't the awareness that actually just as important is fixing it on a physiological or biological level. So in this case, nutrition. So there is no shortage of scientific evidence to suggest that nutrition is a major factor in your mental health and mental performance. But there is a broad misunderstanding in society because no one that has a mental health problem or, or, or tired or on a surface level, tired and low energy, on an extreme level, really anxious and you know unable to focus. We see these as faults within ourselves. And so we try and cure them on psychological levels. But actually, my own experience taught me that it's often a physiological level as well that can be cured with nutrition and hydration. So an unknown challenge there is, you know, how do you explain this to consumers when there isn't a widespread understanding? How do you approach the topic, which is one of the reasons why we came up with this idea of brain care, basically from the beauty industry, skin care, hair care, oral care, nail care. These are all industries that have taught us to take small steps on a, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and that small things compound over time to slow decay and keep us looking and feeling healthier for longer. So we took in, um, inspiration from there. And the unknown challenge in this product, if you speak to nutritionists, or dietitians or people in the supplement industry, they all told us to do to make products exactly the same way. And if you do that, that's not a problem. But ultimately, you're not standing out, you're not differentiating, you're copying what everyone else is already doing, which might well be part of the problem. So going back to sort of first principles thinking with, you know, what is Joel good at, my business partner? What am I good at? What is our chief science officer, Dr. Tara Swart, good at? How do our skills combine to this unknown challenge? How do we approach an unknown challenge? And I think the inexperience is the part that spoke to it working well and, and creating some differentiation. So I probably meandered around the point quite a lot, but I was trying to put a, like a practical example into it, which is that People tend to shy away from unknown challenges, whereas actually I feel like people have a lot to add value in unknown challenges um, if they are true to what they are skilled at. Uh, I really love that, actually. I think the idea, actually, that when you set up a business, you're trying to solve a problem, right? And actually, you know that problem, otherwise you wouldn't be trying to do it. So it may feel very unknown. I mean, this is there's lots of talk in the startup world, isn't there, about whether you should have come from the industry you were in. And actually, some of the greatest startups have been started by people who had no idea what their industry was, but they were their users. They're like, actually, no, I, I know what I want to achieve. It, whether I, need, I know what I need to do is a, a different matter. That's actually a really great framing of it. Yeah, totally. I suppose a related question, how has entrepreneurship changed your relationships with the people for whom you're accountable? If it has done, it's completely different, right? In terms of the, you know, you may have people in your team when you work in a company and it's not the same as when you're responsible for making sure they get paid every month. I guess it's a hard one to answer because I've been doing this now for 10 years or almost 10 years. But the truth is like, I almost don't really remember what it's like not to feel like that now. <laughs> I'm 34. I started entrepreneurship at 24. Weirdly, I got loads wrong really early on and they were my successful businesses. Then I got quite a lot right and that was my big failure. That's um, interesting. That's a, a good lesson in itself. 
I have to say, on the topic of like responsibility, like responsibility really starts with yourself. The biggest, deepest learning I suppose that I've had about myself is when I don't listen to my body, I don't listen to my need to take a break or to say I can't do something or to say that I need help, which often is driven by ego and a lack of understanding the power that vulnerability brings. Those are the moments where, you know, being irresponsible to myself have then led to me being a worse leader and less responsible to other people because I might have been short-tempered or I might have been making worse decisions. Um, you know, when it comes to responsibility, like ultimately what is a leader's role in the company is really to care for the people that they're hiring to provide some clarity on a roadmap of where you're meant to be going and ideally to provide some autonomy to the people along the way that are helping you build it with empathy and compassion. And if you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you are ignoring your own responsibility to your health, then you become a worse CEO and you become a worse person to be around. That's not anyone else's fault, but your own. And it's a hard, it's a really hard one. Like I feel like it's, you know, my personal opinion on this stuff is it, it feels a lot easier to be kind to someone else than it does to be kind to yourself. Like I find it very easy to be responsible and care about other people's feelings and care about how someone's doing. And if someone else is sick, I check in on them. And if they're working too hard, I tell them to take a break. Like the stuff is all innately obvious to me because I'm a human being. But I find it much harder to take those lessons and remember that I'm meant to be doing them for myself, for sure. So I think that's where there's some sort of like ironic paradox where you forget that the value of doing it for yourself is actually kinder to other people too. It's very easy, as you said, you know, if you're a human being to think about other people without realizing the impact that not looking after yourself can have on your own perspective and frame of reference. Mm. And And I certainly know myself, I've been through times where, you know, I've been under tremendous pressure. I've put myself under tremendous pressure and the rest of the business hasn't, has been really reasonably oblivious to that. Um, and you can get into a disconnect where you're kind of, you know, the, the, it's almost like you're cross subsidizing in the wrong way, right? Absorbing all of the stress yourself. You're ultimately the custodian of the business for which you're the CEO, right? Uh, And if you're not able to steer the ship well, irrespective of how you're helping everyone else, you know, you're not doing the right thing by the business. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I hope that was, I hope that was, um, a useful answer is certainly the one that I feel the most because I, you know, I'll be honest, like I, I, I do feel responsible for people. Um, but I never question whether or not I'm a kind and compassionate leader because I just am a kind and compassionate person. So where it manifests negatively is often if I'm just like tired or grouchy or exhausted or whatever, which is supposed to be in my own control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we look at the the businesses that you've set up, like founders, right? I think you're you're, you're trying to help people do this better. Everyone trying to help do this better, right? So it's very clear that it's mm. part of who you are. Um, how do you manage the spillover, I suppose, into your personal life? Because one of the things I found is that startups optimize to take as much as they can, right, <laughs> out of the people who work in them. And actually, one of the hardest things can be to actually to set up ways to make sure you do self you self protect. Yeah. So. It's a developing process. The most important thing is I I run a wellness business. I believe very much in wellness. I really believe that prevention is the cure to 99.9% of everything. That's why I'm into supplements. That's why I'm into 
exercising regularly. I'm not fanatical about anything either. You know, I feel like it's much, much better messaging and much better advice and much healthier to just try and do a little bit each day rather than trying to be the best version of yourself every single day. That that can be quite tiring. It doesn't always happen. Mm. You're better off trying to just be a little bit better every single day and do the basics well. That is what will compound for sure. Just the same way as small negative habits will compound over time and suddenly you're completely sedentary before you even realize it because you've allowed negative habits to compound against you. And they all start off small and they compound into something greater. So the way that I personally do it at the moment is I try and schedule a lot of time in my diary for myself. I've got, for example, Fridays, no meetings, Monday, as few as I possibly can. I schedule in deep work blocks. So blocks of work where ideally I know that I like not, not booking any meetings in them whatsoever. I've got my Peloton, for example, you know, scheduled into my day. I've got walks scheduled into my diary. I, long story short is I schedule in my me time. So I don't use my calendar just for work. I use it for making sure I remember that I'm a whole person. Um, sometimes, I, you know, I work quite a lot at night. I, I enjoy working at evenings, so I might work less during the day. But I can't then just work all day and all night. If I know that I'm going to work in the evening, I need to remember that, therefore, during the day, I need to take out some me time. So that might be time to exercise. That might be time to just relax, read a book. It might be time to go for a walk. But, you know, that's how I try and do it, because I know that otherwise I'll forget and I'll just run into the same old problems. So very important to, for me to like use my calendar actively to, to schedule in stuff for myself. I love that. I think my calendar is my greatest barometer for how actually I feel. If I want to look back and see when I've been stressed and when I've been not, I can very clearly look at my calendar and it will it will tell me a function of the meetings I've had with whom, how much continuous time I've had to actually take a deep breath, inhale, uh, so mm. to speak, before I actually do anything. I think these things are incredibly important. Like I'm all about brain care and brain care is not just nutrition. It is things like breath work. It is things like meditation. It is things like kindness, giving yourself space. Of course, it's things like, you know, listening to music and watching Netflix. But like, I don't personally get as much out of those experiences in terms of downtime. I just don't. Like I'd rather read a book and everyone's different, right? So like my wife loves to just consume Netflix, but she's different to me. So it's like, if that gives her energy, that's great. I just know that there's a diminishing return for me when I spend hours doing that. Like I genuinely get more energy out of having a conversation with someone than I do watching something. So I think find out what your thing is, be honest about whether it is actually filling back up your cup or not. It's very easy to assume spending hours on Netflix is relaxing, but actually you might find that it's not for you and it disturbs your dreams and keeps you up. You know, maybe having a fulfilling conversation at night is going to help you sleep better and get more energy. And if that's the case, don't just assume that sitting in front of a TV will be better. It's very easy to assume that the default is going to work and it might not. And if you're just doing the default and the assumption it work and it's not working, you should change it, right? Mm. Which is a very key startup principle. If it's not working, change it, try something different. Exactly. Pivot, as they say. 
Does that feed into, in terms of your personal life with your family? Do you do you envisage this sort of stuff? I mean, when your daughter's uh, for the first few months or years, I expect maybe not too much breath work <laughs> when she's. But can you see yourself doing that sort of thing with your your family, your your kids? Yeah, I would love to. I mean, look, here's the thing. My wife has her opinions. I have my opinions. I'm sure it meets somewhere in the middle. Like, I'm very big on the spiritual journey. I think, for me, the best way to improve your mental health is to lean into your spiritual health and just listen. And it's hard because it's noisy. Whilst I don't prescribe to any religion, I believe in being spiritual without religion, as in I also believe in being spiritual with religion. I just happen to not be religious personally. And so I look forward to continuing to learn in that journey and hope that my daughter is interested in it and that it can serve her well. But she might also love religion, you know, and I don't. But that's her call to make. I also say a lot of the stuff with absolute self-awareness that there are no absolutes in this. Everyone, like Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan so they get punched in the face. Well, I imagine that's very much the case of, uh, of having a daughter, right? So I've got all the best intentions. Whether or not they will serve me in the real world is like a massive different question. Um, one of the reasons why I find exploring consciousness, spirituality, etc. so powerful is because understanding that you are not your thoughts and understanding that there is like a consciousness inside you, but the noise inside your head is kind of like your your well, your ego, your roommate, if you will, and you're stuck with that person. Well, that understanding actually helps a lot when you're having an argument with your partner, when my cats are meowing like crazy, you know. When I get frustrated, and a perfect example, like my cat literally like standing by my feet and just meow, 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 like nonstop and regardless of what I'll do for her, right? If I fed her, if I've hugged her, if I picked her up and she just won't stop. And that's surely like a kid, right? Uh, yeah, 100%. Um, of course, I'll get annoyed. But the point is, at the moment of getting annoyed, I know enough about myself to then ask myself the question, well, who is getting annoyed? Why is it annoying me? How can I use this opportunity as a moment for growth? And should I really be getting annoyed? And I know that it sounds ridiculous, right? To say, again, just you wait, mate have that on repeat nonstop and see if you're able to access those higher power thoughts. And the answer will be, well, possibly not all the time, but it's very much trying to get out of my monkey mind, you know, very much trying my best to get out of my reactive state as often as I possibly can. These are incredibly important skills to learn in entrepreneurship. Yeah. It's just like, death by a thousand paper cuts in entrepreneurship, like a million frustrating things happen to you every single day. And so you have to find a way of dealing with it that serves you. And my way is trying to explore it from a conscious perspective. And I do think that whilst I fail all the time, right, I let my emotions get the better of me. And then I, you know, get angry at myself, et cetera, et cetera. I believe that by continuing to understand and learn from that process, hopefully I'll find the patience overall especially in those first few months when i understand that my patience is going to be very tested especially when i'm not sleeping etc i like to think that at least having that higher level awareness in my head is going to help what you've described there about how that these are such valuable lessons for entrepreneurship those carry over so much 
into fatherhood? Because I think, you know, you've talked a lot about trying to stay centered and make really valuable, objective, balanced decisions by like managing yourself. And the same thing absolutely applies when you're running low on sleep and you don't know what to do. And actually there are that, you know, there is always a glimmer of light and there are always things you can do. And it feels often like you can't. And I think, you know, going into it from that point of view, I'm not religious either, but and I like your way of spirituality, but for whatever it's worth, I do uh, send a small incantation to the sleep gods for you that your daughter <laughs> uh, is a sleeper. But if she's not, you know, you make it work and, you know, trying to stay centered is super valuable. Thank you. Um, taking it a slightly different direction now, when you think about uh, other people who have been your best mentors, again, you've done, you've made so many investments, you've worked on so many businesses, you can call out individuals if you like, but I suppose what I'm interested in, what's, what's made them the best mentors for you? You know, what have you found, you know, the characteristics of people have been just so valuable in your kind of entrepreneurial journey? Well, on a personal level, the ones with a sense of humor, you know, in the studio when I'd be meeting people for secret leaders, you know, it was very easy for me to figure out which ones I was going to be able to build long-term friendships with and not. Very easy to go through life, very serious. Like, people take themselves so seriously and I find it funny because no one else has taken them that seriously. <laughs> yeah. So on a personal level, I think it's incredibly important to have a laugh. You know, I don't have any official mentors, but in many ways I also do. You know, I'm able to call up amazing people and ask them for advice. And I have done regularly. You know, I when I was starting Heights, I called up Michael Acton Smith, the founder of Calm. I called up Nick Jenkins, the founder of Moonpig. I called up Damian Bradfield, the founder of WeTransfer. I called up Anne Marie Huby, the founder of Just Giving. Renee Elliott, the founder of Planet Organic. You know, these are all people I called up multiple times for advice, for tips, for feedback, all of whom I met during Secret Leaders. They're all people who have a sense of humor. And, you know, one of our values at Heights is keep a sense of humor and humility. Like monetary success solves a bunch of problems, sure. But it doesn't solve all your problems. If you have a noisy ego and you're not able to appreciate what you have today, you won't appreciate the success you have in 10 years anyway. If you can't have fun and enjoy the ride in all its absurdity, and your ego is so great that not only you can't have a laugh at yourself, but you're also just on it. And I do feel like a good sense of humility is is relevant for humor as well, because again, it's related to egos, related to being able, it's related to being able to poke fun at yourself. Like you're not able to do those things if you're such a serious person about your beliefs and so stuck on how you want people to perceive you. Um, you don't really get to control how other people perceive you. So the best leaders that I have found in my personal experience have absolutely been the ones who are kind, funny, often self-deprecating for sure. And like I say, low ego. And they tend to enjoy the success a lot more as well. Yeah. I hear very strong themes of stoicism when I when when I hear you talk and you know that idea that you can step outside yourself and realize that what you're doing at any one time doesn't isn't what defines you. Yeah, for sure. When I when I failed my last business, uh, someone bought me Marcus Aurelius Meditations and I found it an extremely helpful book. It was the first book I read after failing actually and I just found it super super helpful. So yeah, that is a good observation. 
Well, I want to sneak one quick question up before we go to the final parts, uh, if possible. So I'd heard that Sebastian Ziematowski, the CEO of Klarna, he has three kids under six, and he's also the CEO of Klarna. Uh, That's do you, it's absolutely wild, isn't it? So I was going to ask, whom do you look up to as a startup parent? Someone who's smashing it at both. I've got two people. Rachel Carey from Coru Kids, who's got two kids and a brilliant business solving childcare. And then um, Alexandra De Pledge, again, three kids, I think. And, you know, she's running a brilliant business with Resi, which is the largest architectural platform in the UK, which she started whilst and they both started these businesses and were fundraising whilst having kids, um, you know, breastfeeding on, on Zoom calls and all sorts. Um, puts it into perspective, never mind startup dads, like these are startup mums and they are absolute warriors and I very, very, very good friends with both of them and they are consistently just the most admirable founders that I know. That's absolutely brilliant. So, Dan, last question before we wrap up with startup shoutouts. Um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? So, the biggest lesson I've learned is probably around leadership. Last time round, I was very focused on um, on having all the answers and trying to be the smartest person in the room, trying to help my team by answering their questions and having answers was what I thought was my job. And this time round, I've learned that actually having better questions is a much better approach. And my job is to enable other people to find the solutions. And so now when people try to come to me with um, a question that needs an answer, I've learned from experience how that doesn't scale and it doesn't help. And that the only real way to build a company that lasts is to put the power back on the people that you hire and enable them to answer the questions that need answering. So my job is to ask the questions and their job is to answer it, not the other way around. So that's a lesson I learned the hard way. Um, if you don't learn that lesson quickly, I do believe that you will be doomed for failure because you are a bottleneck as a founder. You cannot answer that many things. You can't process that much. You are not that much smarter than anyone else. You just have a different risk appetite. That's what makes you an entrepreneur. But it doesn't mean that you're smarter and it doesn't mean you're going to have more um, ways to find the answer. So therefore, don't try and have all the answers. Ask the questions back and make sure that you're listening to them. And, you know, ultimately let other people make these mistakes as well because you're going to make these mistakes yourself. So I'm pretty sure that they will make those mistakes too, but you'd be forgiving to yourself making the mistakes and you'd ask yourself what you learn and how you're going to improve from that point. And so the same is true with them. That's my opinion of it anyway. Uh, yeah, it really resonates with me, particularly as a business scales. It's very easy at the beginning to think that that's the solution. And as you say, that is not a scalable in any way, shape or form way of, you know, leadership running a business because mm. uh, uh, you just get more problems than you're, as you say, qualified to or capable, have the capacity to take on. Startup Shoutouts. So let's wrap up with our regular feature, Startup Shoutouts. So, Dan, we'd love to give you the chance to do your, your own startup shout-out. Well, I've got a couple, really. So I've been doing startup radio on on Saturdays on Clubhouse, and I've been, you know, using it to help answer people's questions wherever I can, but also found a couple of brilliant startups through doing it. One was a company called Oatsu, 
O-A-T-S-U, who made delicious vegan, like gut-friendly butcher um, mueslis in like delicious little pots that were breakfast. And Lauren, who was the founder, was just, you know, asking a bunch of questions, sharing a lot of um, issues she was having and, and looking for some um, helpful advice. And like a bunch of us just bought her products because it's very easy to convolute in startup land, by the way. Like, how can you help a founder? The answer is really simple, especially if they're a consumer business, buy their product and then give them feedback. So if you really want to help a founder, you buy their product. If you don't like their product, tell them and tell them why. That is so helpful. If you yeah. do like their product, tell them and tell them why and then tell a friend. It's just literally so easy to help a founder. Um Obviously, it's harder if you do B2B SaaS contracts. You know, you can't spend thousands of pounds on everyone you meet. But, you know, this cost me 30 quid to become her customer, then give her feedback. And the product was so good. Um, so I had all these delicious Bircher Mooseleys last week. So I definitely wanted to give a shout out to Otsu. And then similarly, Nixon Kicks, which are these really delicious drinks that are spiked with uh, cayenne pepper, basically, which sound like they're spicy, but they're not. They just have like a really nice, lovely kick, but they're not in the slightest bit spicy. Um, and they've been so delicious that my fridge is now full of them. And so is my mum's fridge. You know, for me, like discovering consumer products that keep me away from a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's or a yeah, M&S and I can just go and support a, a new startup is meaningful to me. And as someone who sells products and ultimately people are like emailing us all the time why should i stop buying from vitabiotics or from boots or from holland and barra i mean you know apart from when we explain to them the quality it's like but why would you even want to like as in i don't understand like I, you know for me it seems really obvious right i would rather choose independence support small businesses that are literally providing for their families and you know you're having an impact on that person's life that's my personal point of view so those two consumer brands, um, Otsu, O-A-T-S-U, and Nixon Kits, which is N-I-X and K-I-X. I highly recommend you try them out and purchase their products, please. We'll be absolutely sure to give them a little shout out through our social media as well. And like you say, all a founder ever wants to know is how to make their business better, right? That's really, it's not a complicated thing. That's what we all, all we want to know. Uh, and I really like your, your, your framing there. That actually, that's not complicated in B2C, is it? You just buy it. You buy it and then you give feedback. I think it's like totally, it's totally fine to say, look, I tried, this wasn't for me. Yeah. But why? Yeah. Why wasn't it for you? The more detailed feedback, the better. This stuff is gold. Like we are desperate for it i say this to people all the time like there is no end of um of linkedin requests or for my time like it's non-stop it's a deluge um even when i'm doing startup radio i'm like don't message me on linkedin like at least on instagram and twitter i've got a chance of seeing it like linkedin is just a pit where i want to go on i want to help people but i just can't be bothered to discern who are the bots and who are actually asking for help but anyway i say to people like if you want a founder's time, buy their product. Guess what my job is? My job is to answer our customers. Yeah. So if you want my time, where do you think I'm going to prioritize my time? You are so far down the bottom of the list. You're asking me to buy your product, to give me feedback on what you want, your debt, your thing, you, 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 you. That's great. I've got customers. I've got a lot of them. And I'm serving them first and foremost. And so if you want to get in the queue, that is a really cheap and easy way. <laughs> and it's just like a life hack. Is a life hack that anyone that's looking for help from a founder should understand. Every founder has one job to make their customers happy. So if you want their time, become a customer, get in the end of the queue, 
ask your thing, literally 10x more likely to to succeed getting that person's time. Yeah, you've given a massive hack here for people who are looking, as you rightly say, to connect with founders in that way. Dan, look, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. We've really appreciated it. So much insight there distilled from all the different journeys you've been on. Before we close up, do you want to give any shout out for yourself? So anything that you're doing, anything that you're, you know, people can find you, you'd like them to reach out for you. I know you're really active, you know, helping people on Clubhouse. I've been in the background more than once. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I'm just busy building heights. My pr- main priority in life is building heights. Um, we've got a podcast called the Brain Care Podcast. Um, got every episode is just 15 minutes, and it's just amazing people. Some of the world's top scientists from around the world and wellness leaders, but also people like Stephen Fry, Jay Shetty, Dame Kelly Holmes. Every episode just 15 minutes on how to improve your mental well-being and look after your brain. That would be my podcast shout out. Um, go check out Heights at your heights on Instagram and Twitter. Yourheights.com uh, is the URL. That's really where I'm spending my time, passion and energy and what I really care about the most. So if there's any way to support me and, you know, supporting a startup is not hard, by the way. So, you know, I write a newsletter every week that goes out to now 60,000 readers on how to take care of your brain according to science. You can find that at yourheights.com forward slash Sundays. But my point is, you don't have to spend money to support a startup. Don't overcomplicate it. Sometimes you can just give them a like on social media. You can follow a social media account. You can tell a friend about them. You can write a comment on a post. It's really easy to follow and support startups. And you just don't know the amount of people inside the company that get a buzz out of that small action. There's always a way to help someone. So take an action and do it today. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up. Dan, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was fantastic. Thank you, mate. Lovely to be here. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at Startup Dad's Pod. 